Welcome to Hope on the Rise. My name is Peter Englert. I'm one of the co-hosts of our extended edition, and I'm here with our other co-host, Bob Roden. We have a little special show for you. Um, we're taking a new direction in the extended version. We are having with us uh, Dick Foth, and we're going to have a series of guests, and each of those guests are going to define how they have hope in their lives right now and we're going to try this new format and uh dick gets to be the first one to do this so bob what do you think about this before we throw it to dick oh i just i'm really excited about this new initiative and uh and it's great to start with uh my friend of over 50 years can you believe that both oh, we're uh, we're uh, 50 yeah. years that we've been that we've known each other we're old. Yes, we, we got are. lots of hope, but we got lots of hope. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Dick and I have uh, we met in uh, uh, Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, then he was in Urbana, uh, uh, pioneering or planting a church, and was president of a college, and ultimately came to Washington D.C. to uh, to serve on the Hill with uh, with people in the Senate and uh, in the House of Representatives and ambassadors and. Uh, it was kind of a unique role that you had, folks. So why don't you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you got to D.C. and uh, and what you did in, in talking to people and and bringing the message of hope to them. You you represented hope to them in a number of ways. Well, in 1992, I I resigned from being president of a small college in California. Uh, I had served 14 years, and the average tenure of a college president back in the day was seven years. And I just tell people it takes some guys twice as long to get it. <laughs> and so by the time I was done, I was 50 years old and I was tired. So Ruth and I took a self-imposed sabbatical, self-funded for a year, came to the East Coast to figure out what to do with the last half. In that year, what happened was someone in DC reached out to me and said, how about coming here and do what we do? Some of the folks listening would know what Young Life is. Young Life is a group that works with high schoolers and they have a, a sort of a mantra, which is come alongside, earn the right to be heard. And in DC, the folks we worked with did that with people in places of leadership or whomever the Lord sort of brought into their paths, but it could be at the energy department, could be at state, could be at the Pentagon, Pentagon and all of those entities um, are kind of worlds unto themselves in a lot of ways. They speak different dialects, same language, and so, I, you know, I'm not a political guy. I vote. But so I got thrown into the deep end working with people who were way above my pay grade. I'm not a Yale guy. I like Yale guys, but I'm not one of those. I wasn't raised with money. And all of a sudden, I'm here, a kid from East Oakland, California, just grateful to be alive. I'm, I'm the, on the hill and every now and again going various places with various folks. And it was 15 years of walking with other people. And, and the role differential was this. When I was a pastor and a college president, I was sort of a Moses, right? Small M, small pond. And then I came to Washington, D.C., where they got a gazillion Moseses, and I was an Aaron or her to somebody else's Moses. It was a very different role, but I learned a ton. Anyway, that's the short answer. Yeah. And I just remember you coming from meetings at times and just kind of astounded at maybe what had happened or who you had talked with. And, uh, tell, tell us a couple of things that may have happened in those in those meetings. Give us a sample of uh, of what might have happened. Uh, you know, I know you can't give names, maybe, but, our, but just tell us sampling of things that you would do. This is 
kind of intriguing. Going up on Capitol Hill, going to Ambassador Row, and talking to people—that's a—that's quite a deal. Well, for those, for the folks who are in, in, the, in the audience here to understand, they that they would understand this: that in any arena, whether it's education or healthcare or politics or the church or military, the higher you go, the more competitive it gets, and you. It, and as it gets competitive, people play their cards closer to the chest, as we used to say. And you get to the top of the heap and you end up with a thousand acquaintances and no friends. Leadership is not hard because you have to make decisions. That's what leaders do. Leadership's hard because you don't know who to trust. So our function was to come alongside folks without an agenda. We don't need your picture in our newsletter. We don't need your signature on something. You don't need to give us money. You don't, but wherever we can serve you to help you be better at whatever it is you're doing, just as a friend, a confidence. Some days we were golf buddies. Sometimes we were ambulance drivers. Sometimes, you know, so it, it just varied. But the core idea behind it is how do we become a friend? And so that, that, uh, that template was the was the heart of what we were about and if you say you're the united states senator high senator don't have an agenda for you just like to be your friend you know he or she will say yeah sure you know because they wait for the other shoe to drop if you're willing yeah. to play the long game and do two or three years of just being available or whatever often they start believing that you that's in fact what it is so in in um in meetings in times with them you know, these are folks who live their lives in 15 minute increments. So you're not going to get an hour long lunch, except maybe with one here or there. <clears throat> if you go golfing, you get four hours. But the point is this, <clears throat> excuse me, my apologies. The, the, the point is that if you make yourself available to folks to serve them in what they need, not what you desire, then the, the playing field changes in some way because everybody's knocking on somebody's door and they want something. You know this, Bob. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you, you know, when you let stuff, everybody knocked. Very few people came and said, I just stopped by to bring you, you know, a burger and a hundred bucks. Not, you know, no. <laughs> people, people don't do that for you. Anyway, so the kinds of conversations you would have most often we're about people's families. Because we're in, when you're in the public eye and CNN or Fox or whomever is following you around every day, it's your family that takes it in the teeth. And almost always we would say to them at the end, or I would say, Senator or Congressman or whomever, um, you know, we have people, there are people around who think that prayer actually works and they're praying for you. They don't know you, but they're praying for you. What can we pray for? Almost always they would say, pray for my family. And it didn't make any difference if they believed that Jesus was God or didn't believe Jesus was God. They just, they would just say that. And, and there's something about prayer, the willingness to, to take somebody's need to the creator of the universe on Tuesday afternoon. There's something about that that generates hope when it's really a dark day or a dark week or a dark month. It just does. You know, uh, Peter, I remember uh, that we took 10 students from the university where you were attending and mm -hmm. brought them down to Washington, D.C., and we were able to go to the uh, 
uh, the place there that called the uh, the Cedar Street uh, place and uh, what what was that place called? Uh, help me out, folks, on the uh, the, Cedar, the, the name Cedar. of the it was it was called the Cedars, yeah. And and you sat and talked with these students and uh, Peter, that you've told me as well as other students, that was a life changing kind of experience for you. And uh, I'm thinking about this is probably a good place to segue into, you know, we're using as a uh, a working definition of hope. Hope is believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today, and I can do something about it. Yeah, that, that's the key. I can do something about it, and that's yeah. what we were trying to do with these students was to give them hope that hey, there are good things going on in the in Washington D.C. that you may not even know about, and right. uh, mm. and so that's so let's let's do something about it. We said, and so we brought these students down to uh, down to meet with you, and uh, it was a uh, it was it was one of the neatest experience I've ever had, and uh, Peter, I've heard you and your colleagues say. Uh, a, a great experience for you as college students. You want to reflect on that, any? <laughs> sure. I. So, number one, um, probably the phrase that made the biggest difference in my life was you said there's 37 personal encounters with Jesus in the Bible. Not one of them is the same. And uh, I've just I've told people that. Um, but I, I kind of want to segue back to the definition that Bob talked about. And we can compare notes and um, stuff like that. But, you know, Dick, uh, are you more hopeful about tomorrow than you were 20 years ago? Or are you less hopeful about tomorrow, you know, where you are right now? Well, I think I'm more hopeful because I'm, I'm uh, 15 years older than when you met me. So I'm, I'm closer to going home, being out of here. You know, that's no, (laughs) that's, but, but I think, I think that, that the, that the uh, fulcrum for hope is what you had in your definition. Believing, which is a big word in the New Testament. You you know, I was just looking at this this morning, quite apart from this conversation we're having, you know, uh, that the idea of faith or hope or believing is used 500 times in the New Testament. And that what we believe about God, about ourselves, about how love works, all of those things, that's the piece that gives us hope. That mm-hmm. generates hope. What I, what I think of and what, what I'm, what I say to God a lot of times, and and my hope lies there. Doesn't lie in, doesn't lie with me, you know, because I, you know, I've I've lost my hair. I'm moving slower. I hopefully I still can make sense when I frame a sentence. But but the point is that 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 it's a little bit like Ezekiel standing in the Valley of Dry Bones and God saying to him, "So do you think Ezekiel I can make these old bones live?" And he has a great line. He says. Oh, sovereign Lord, you know. And my hope lies in the fact that he knows. I don't know. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the world is going crazy in, in all kinds of ways, philosophically, politically, militarily, economically, all of that. And it seems like it's picking up speed. But I think the fact that, that I have the privilege every now and again of meeting with young people, for example, who, who have uh, what I call cool heads and hot hearts in, in that they they 
haven't lived through what Bob and I have lived through back in the 60s and the 70s, certainly not what our parents lived through back in the 20s and 30s and 40s of the, of the last century. But there, but there is in them a belief that's not just starry-eyed, but it's a growing belief that the God who knows where we are will walk us all the way through, whatever that, whatever that means. So I, I, would, I would suggest that there's great hope in us as to what God's up to and to what he wants us to be up to when we walk with him. That, mm. that, that sort of plays into uh, another phrase we've used, our concept, that, that when hope becomes a noun rather than a verb, it, it changes everything. Our hope is in Jesus, as you said, our hope is in God. Yeah. And, and when it becomes a noun for us, then it has some substance to it. That uh, and that that's that's I think a critical kind of shift in our thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think when you when when you use it as a noun, you know, it becomes a place to stand. And yes. of course, you're in in our circles and in our relationship, you're famous for that. I know that, that some friends, or maybe it's your family, that calls you Bob Hope. And if people are older, they get that. You know, if people are younger. He was a big name back in the day. But I, I just think that that hope is not wishful thinking. So, so it isn't a it isn't a verb in that sense. But it, but it has this solidity to it, that that when when somebody like you walks into the room, Bob, and you didn't ask me to say this. This is just free. When somebody like you walks into the room, and, and hope walks in people will walk out saying, well, maybe there is more. Maybe there is a possibility. Maybe that it, that's what hope does. And hope as a noun does that for folks. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, if when you lose hope, it, it really, everything begins to crash. You so bet that's you. what we are. And we live in that kind of world where so many people have lost hope. And right. we are, we're on a, uh, on an initiative here to try to help people restore this idea of hope and we're introducing them uh, to what you just said that it's a noun a place to stand but it also can be incarnated in people who have stories about hope that inspire inspires others and uh, maybe you oh, could uh you just think of a, a person or two in dc that that might have found hope uh through uh through just uh, your experience there could you, you and i've had conversation about various people there. Uh, get, get, you're a you're a great storyteller, folks. So uh, get, give it give us a story. All right. Uh, Some of them are, are even true. It's amazing. <laughs> the yeah. two, two things come to mind. One is when when I was a when I was a newbie. Okay, at age 51 in D.C., I was over my head. Didn't understand political environment. So I'm on my way to see the first senator that I've ever met. Right. And, and this, to put it, and I don't mean this in any other way than it's just true, and, and that is it's often called the Club of 100. It's, it's the most powerful group like that in the world, right? So I'm going to go see my first, my first senator, and I'm whining. I spend over my life, I've spent a fair amount of time whining to God, and I'm saying, I'm a kid from East Oakland. I didn't graduate from Harvard. Da, 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 da. What am I going to say to this person? And I felt like he said to me, not an audible voice, but just felt like he said, Foth, he calls me Foth. He says, Foth, here's the deal. If you speak to the king of the universe in the morning, it's not hard to speak to United States senator in the afternoon. Wow. wow. And 
and I had hope, dude. I mean, I, <laughs> I said, well, okay, let's, let's go with this. <laughs> but I think when, I think when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, trust in him, that generates the hope engine in a way that nothing else does. i just tell you this quick story. There was a chief of staff to a very powerful congressman, and, um, and his name was Charlie, and he had been a Navy sub-captain before he became chief of staff, and he'd been that for 16 years. And on the Hill, chiefs of staff run the Hill because they control the calendar, okay? They control access. And so uh, Charlie had found out that he had a virulent kind of cancer in his hip. He was at home in Vienna, Virginia, waiting for a hip replacement at Johns Hopkins. Our daughter worked in that office. She was leaving for a group called World Vision in Africa. The next day we went to see Charlie at the end, and Charlie was not a person of faith, right? Yeah, a great guy, wonderful guy, but the Jesus part just wasn't connecting at all. And we walked in, and at the end, we had a little prayer. And when we left, I said, Charlie, can I come see you on Friday? He said, absolutely. I walked in on Friday, and he said, Dick, I don't think I can do this without God. Mm. He said, what, what should I do? I said, well, why don't you just give your whole life to him? He said, okay, I just have one question. I said, what's that? He said, he said I, haven't, I haven't paid any attention to God for 64 years. If I come to him now when I could be checking out, as he put it, isn't he going to be mad? And I, I said, you know, you're a father of adult children. If one of your adult children had gone away and you hadn't talked to him or her for years and they called up and said, Dad, could I come home and we could just have pizza and watch a movie and just get to know you, how would you feel about that? He said, I'd love that. I said, well, you're, a, you're a, just a guy. You're a mortal. And, and you feel that way. How much more would a perfect heavenly father welcome you? He said, okay, what do we do? I said, why don't we pray? He said, how do you do that? Because, you know, if you don't know the protocol, if you haven't been in that drill, you don't know. And so I just said, yeah, um, why don't I just frame a prayer and you just follow me? And just, and he said, okay. So I just said, dear God, this is Charlie. He said, dear God, this is Charlie. And I'm just getting ready to say the next phrase and Charlie takes off. And he says, God, I've screwed everything up. I just And he just poured his guts out on the table for two minutes. And then he just stopped. He didn't even say amen. And we all know it doesn't work if you don't say amen. <laughs> and, he, and then he just sat back and he looked at me and said, now what? And all of a sudden, he's the Navy submarine captain ready for the mission. I said, well, why don't you tell your wife what you just did? And he said, Mary, come in here. She's prayed for him for years and walked in. He said, Mary, I've just given my whole life to God through Jesus Christ. I have embraced him fully and willingly under no stress or duress from Dick. (laughs) She laughed and I laughed and she loved that. And Charlie went home to the Lord within five months of that time because he was on a race for the finish line. But to see his hope grow was incredible. I walked into his room one day, and this is a elongated story, I apologize, but he walked into the room. I walked into the room one day, he said, Dick, what does it mean to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord that day? And I said, how does that work? I said, Charlie, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how that works because I haven't done that part yet. But I said, it probably means to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> you know, you come to me for counseling, it's deep. <laughs> He said, okay, and, and the congressman was standing there, and he said, well, what's that thing about he's going to add on a room and come and get you and that whole Jesus thing? I, he said, find that part and read it. I read it, and anyway, I just told Charlie, I said, Charlie, I think Jesus is coming to get you in the next couple, three days, and, and you're going to be there, 
and you're going to turn around twice and hopefully our congressman friend and I will show up in a while. And he said, that'd be great. There's something about fully giving yourself to the king of the universe that generates the hope that that trust engine generates the hope that is that place to stand. And I just, and I saw that over and over again, there are dozens of stories and, and, and that's a long one, but I really, I really like how Charlie said that anyway. Hey Dick, um, uh, mm. something that I want to kind of ask you is, um, you know, what would you say to 15 year old Dick Foth about hope that you know now? And I ask that because, you know, Bob's very real with his story, you know, from his book, right. Restless to Reconcile. You know, right. I mean, have you always been hopeful or, you know, what would you say to that 15 year old Dick Foth about hope that you know now? Do you, uh, do you have another question, Peter, that I could answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I, when I was 15, I was a, I was a sophomore in high school and my parents' marriage was sort of unraveling. And my dad was a pastor, former missionary, and it was throwing me off. And, and, I, and I was a stutterer. So I, ha I had these pieces in play that were, that were unsettling. I mean, when you're 15, you have enough unsettling. You don't need to add anything to it, right? You're trying to discover who you are and all of that. And I think what I would say to that, uh, to that Dick Foth is, Find um, a group, find, because your high school is all about groups, you know, and you're categorized, you're a nerd or you're a jock or you're a drama mog or you're a music, whatever it is, find two or three people. You don't have to have 24 people, find two or three and somewhere in the mix, find somebody who's older than you are and, and invest in them in discovering who God is and from scriptures and in that you start finding out who you are i think um i think the pressure of the time when i was 15 uh, scattered the way that i thought it didn't it didn't focus it as much and fortunately i didn't go off the rails in some dramatic fashion that sort of damaged me for down the road but i think i, I have come to believe and this is later because you're asking me as an 81-year-old, what would you tell your 15-year-old self? As an 81-year-old, I would say, I think the most powerful number in scripture is two or three. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here on the screen. These, the folks listening don't see us on the screen, but I see two other faces besides mine. And there's, when, when Jesus says where two or three are gathered, I show up, right? I'm there. If those two or three believe, if they trust, I'm there. And I'm a Western capitalist. I say, well, two or three is good. Then 18 would be fabulous. Yeah, I mean, 32 would be out of the park. 112, we'd, we'd be home free. But what if the most powerful number is two or three? So I'd say to my 15-year-old self, both, find two or three friends. They may not know much more than you do, but you can be on the journey together of trusting and hoping and learning and find somebody, some older dude, and when you're 15, a 30-year-old is almost dead, right? So find <laughs> find a 25-year-old's yeah, close. So why don't you find that guy who's been through high school, through college, they've got some more experience, um, and, and just 
find ways to listen and to do stuff. And most guys, and you know, I'm a guy, so ladies have a wonderful capacity, I think, this is generalization, to sit down and share their hearts across a coffee table with a piece of quiche or whatever, and pretty quickly. Guys, we, we do better shoulder to shoulder, and then maybe we can be face to face, right? And so, anyway, that's, again, you ask uh, me a short question, I give you an elongated answer, I apologize uh, for that. Uh, and a good answer. You know, uh, you and I are friends, both. We talk from time to time. Sort of, our right. our wives are really good friends. And uh, this is I, I want you to I want you to take a moment and, and tell the story that you told me about the Scotty's preacher. Uh, yes, yesterday or day before, because that's really about hope. I mean, some people think that you uh, where you, where you're going to go with your life and how are you going to find out how you discover God. This is this is one of the best best lines I've heard, and it's about the, the guy oh. on the cross. And yeah. uh, why, why don't you tell that story? I think that'll be a kind of a way to begin to move yeah. us toward a, a conclusion here. So give yeah, well, us that story. There's, there's a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio now. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's, he's older than when I saw this clip. His name's Alistair Begg. Some of the, some of the folks here would know that name. But I, he was at a conference, and he was telling this story. He said, you know, I'd really like I'd really like to to meet that fella that that was on the cross there with Jesus that that thief that guy where where he shows up in heaven because Jesus had said you know this day you'll be with me in paradise he said I'd like to meet that guy and say so how did that how did that work out for you how 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 was that that you got and he's talking to the angel in heaven this is the thief when he's there and he said, he said, well, I, I don't know. He said, well, how did you get here? He said, I don't know. He says, well, um, did, do you, you, you weren't baptized. You've never been in a Bible study. You've not done any of that. And here you are. He said, I, I don't know. And so the, the angel goes over and says, excuse me just a minute. Let me get my supervisor angel comes over and supervisor angel says, I, I've just, I've just got a, just got a couple of questions. It's what do you know? How do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? He said, I'd never heard of it. He said, Well, how about the 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 whole theological understanding of scripture? And the guy, the thief, is just looking at him. He didn't. He said, Okay, okay. On what basis are you here? How did you get here? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. <laughs> uh -huh. I Is love that it. a message? Wow. <laughs> he told the me. The man on the middle cross told me I could come. Told me I could ah. come. <laughs> and I think that's what we'd like to say to uh, to all of our all of our audience today. The the man on the middle cross says you could come. You can hmm. find hope. You can yeah. find hope, and that's a uh, that that's uh, that's our message. Isn't that a great story, Peter? Awesome I'll, story, huh? I love it. Well, yeah. Before we close, I I actually think Dick uh, to have you close in prayer would be great. Uh, but let me do a few things. So, uh, first of all, to find more about Hope on the Rise, go to uh, bobroden.com. Dick, is there a place or uh, is there something that if listeners want to follow you that we should send them? Uh, if if folks just type in dickfoth.com, <clears throat> it will take you to a website. 
that is um, uh, Foth and Friends Stories from the Road. Mm-hmm. And it's just, there's some podcasts, some teachings and things like that. So uh, for for what that's worth. Well, I, I know that many listeners are going to really appreciate this. But like I said, I can think of no better way than closing this in prayer. And Dick, why don't you just close this in prayer and then we'll end the episode. Okay, and, and I'm going to do what we did in Washington a lot. That I, I had a guy one once when I said, can we pray? And the guy said, well, you just need to know I don't close my eyes. I said, well, okay. So I'm sitting there looking. So I'm going to keep my eyes open, look at you guys while I'm praying. And it goes like this. Lord God Almighty, thank you for Bob and for Peter. Thank you for your grace in their lives. Thank you for the hope that you have given us together in you because when we hope in you all of a sudden we're brothers all of a sudden we have you in common and that gives us so much to talk about and to count on and to think of and to exult in so lord i pray for every listener to this podcast that they will come to an understanding a greater understanding of the power that is found when we look at tomorrow and say, I'm willing to go there and I'm willing to go there with a heart full of hope because I believe that in Jesus, I can make a difference. Mm. That's it, Lord. We're out. Thanks for your grace in our lives. In Jesus name. Amen.